during this period because it's a estrogen most likely progesterone also but estrogen dependent process our brain starving for fuel and again we're more insulin resistant so shifting to ketones is like giving your brain jet fuel it takes away the brain fog the, you know improves your memory improves your clarity and that is that's a hormone dependent process so we have to shift from glucose to ketones on a regular basis Well, hi everyone, Dr. David Perlmutter here and welcome again to The Empowering Neurologist. Today we're gonna to talk about menopause. We're gonna talk about women and hormones and how we can actually see significant improvements in the events surrounding menopause based upon making dietary changes. A wonderful new book called Menu Pause and we're gonna talk about where the title came from. Uh, it actually describes five different nutritional approaches based upon what a woman uh, focuses on in terms of her goals uh, related to uh, menopause and just related to general health as well. Things like insulin sensitivity, autoimmune conditions, weight loss, etc. are each addressed in one of five specific diets uh, that Dr. Anna Kabeca describes. We've had Dr. Kabeca on the program before. Uh, one of our most popular guests, Dr. Anna Kabeca, author of the book, a uh, specialist in OBGYN. And let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Kabeca. Dr. Anna Kabeca is a triple board certified uh, physician. She has fellowships in gynecology and obstetrics, integrative medicine, and anti aging and regenerative medicine as well. She has special certifications in functional medicine, sexual health, and bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, HRT. Over the past 20 years, she has served over 10,000 women uh, in her private practice and millions more through her outreach in her various books, online videos, and articles. When her own health took a uh, troubling turn during her menopause, she sought out the wisdom of various uh, healers for the problem around the world, and she learned that modern medicine and time-tested natural remedies are actually not at odds. Working together, they create indisputable results and true well-being. And in her new book, she uses delicious healing foods and simple lifestyle changes. And this is what allowed Dr. Kabeca herself to reclaim her health and basically rec reclaim her life. Fueled by her belief that every woman deserves to be empowered and in control of their health and life, she developed the Keto Green Lifestyle which has helped thousands of women opt out of menopause misery and experience a joyful transition to the next stages uh, of their lives. With her methods, you too can breathe through menopause into your second spring, feeling the best you ever have. So I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Anna Kabeca back to our program today. Let's jump right in. Well, Dr. Anna Kabeca, welcome to the program again. It is a thrill to be back here and talking with you, Dr. Promutter. Thanks for having me. Um, it's always a thrill. Uh, you really knocked the ball out of the park this time. This is a beautiful, beautiful book. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We'll start off uh, menu pause. What are we trying to pause? <laughs> or well, I'm actually not so much me, but what are, uh, what are women, uh, peri, uh, post, premenopausal women uh, trying to pause? Oh, well, well, you can do it too. You can do it too, David. And it, we're right in alignment with, with what you teach and your love diet too. So 
um, with menopause, we're really pausing things that are creating problems with our hormones and interrupting, you know, interrupting our own insulin pathways. And we are pausing foods that no longer serve us. And it can, it can vary, right? We like to say variety is the spice of life. Well, certainly sometimes doing the same health foods too often, too long can cause problems too. And so, um, so that's what we're pausing. We're pausing hot flashes, pausing midlife weight gain and waste gain and pausing, um, brain fog and memory loss and symptoms of aging, like inflammatory symptoms, as well as decreasing the risk of diabetes and um, heart disease. One, yeah, you mentioned that, uh, Alzheimer's and cancer as well. I mean, I think you did, uh, uh, yeah, that was early in the introduction. Um, you know, one of the important uh, takeaway messages, I think, from the book is <clears throat> maybe it's a revelation for many women that who knew your diet, oddly enough, the foods you choose to eat, not only play a role in your health, again, who knew, but actually play an important role in terms of hormone levels, hormone balance. So, you know, what's the story with that? And why is it that no one really tends to want to talk about that with the exception, of course, of insulin? Yeah, you know, I think that understanding that I, I think one of the things is hormones are so poorly understood. I mean, they are energetic molecules above an you know, above all, right? They are energetic molecules. So they're hard to test over time. We look at them in our serum, in our saliva, in our urine. We look at metabolites and we get an idea and understanding exactly how they're affecting women as we age through menopause just hasn't been well studied and it's just starting to be. I think that's a big, that's been a big missing piece to our understanding as physicians. I mean, we weren't trained to understand food as medicine either, but especially how our life stage can affect the information we're receiving from our diet, from our food. Well, you, you had an interesting uh, quote in the book that mentioned that only one in five OBGYN residents gets any training at all that's specific towards uh, menopause, even, I mean, not even food related, but even medication related, that this is a kind of a big, a, a void. And then in the upper right of that section, you were talking about how doctors simply generally might tell women, oh, just tough it out and, and, and live through it. I mean, you know, as a male, I guess I don't have to think about that, but for women to be told just tough it out must be pretty challenging. Well, and that their symptoms are in their head or it's just normal for aging, normal for their stage in life. And that's really defeating. That's really, um, you know, can work against, can can hurt the soul when, you're, when you hear that. Aristotle said, when the body's um, ailing, the soul suffers. And when the soul is suffering, the body also suffers. And so we look at that as... Um, how it's downplayed and women are told to power through. And I've had patients tell me, you know, Dr. Anna, I'm, I'm just powering through sex because it pleases my husband and I need to check that box. And I'm like, that's, that's the wrong attitude. We can't fix that first of all. And plus he wants you to be happy and there are mirror neurons. So there's that part of aging that are told, well, you just have to power through it. Not true at all. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate on, on sexual health and for our entire life. So that's critically important. And then the hot flashes, mood swings, they'll eventually get better. And I've had clients that have suffered with hot flashes for 10 to 15 years. 
because it's not just about estrogen. We have unremitting hot flashes because of insulin resistance. And so in shifting what we do, that can that can make a big change. And it is disappointing because also in our education programs, there are very few menopause clinics as part of training. Emory University has a menopause clinic now. And I know in Chicago, there's a menopause clinic. And so we're starting to see those so residents can train in menopause, Mm -hmm. but that's typically not even part of our training. And then we're just told here, use this hormone, hormone replacement therapy and not given options where diet can be a powerful, what we eat, not just what we eat, but when we eat, who we're eating with, right? Those saying grace before a meal, all of those things, the quality of what our food that we're eating ate makes a huge difference too. And, and it's just not emphasized in our training. Um, I, I interviewed uh, Dr. Lisa Moscone, and yes. uh, she is an Alzheimer's researcher, and specifically with respect to why women are two-thirds of Alzheimer's patients. And we talked about how, you know, by and large, medicine is not geared towards women. And, you know, to read that only one in five residents in an OBGYN pr- uh, programs around the country are even instructed on menopause, really, I think, is an example of how second-rate uh, class uh, the view is in terms of women's health. Uh, women are not just, as I think Lisa said, or, or no, Sarah Gottfried, women are not just men uh, with breasts. You know, that, that it's so unfair what has happened and how you know, there's such an extrapolation of male data from, uh, in terms of dosages of medicine and, and, you know, looking at side effects and doesn't really take into consider, consideration uniqueness of women's physiology. You, you touched upon um, the notion that excess body fat, which is, you talk about that throughout the book. I think all of your diets, except for one, I think the carbohydrate uh, diet that allowed carbs, gluten-free carbs, was one more for weight um, maintenance, not necessarily weight loss. But you, you really mentioned the fact that, the, that body fat is disruptive as it relates to hormone uh, functionality. So how does that work? And what is the goal then? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, our body fat alone is known to be an organ, right? We consider that an organ, not just this nuisance. It also is producing hormones and and receptive to hormones, responsive to hormones, and especially responsible for estrogen. And we can become very estrogen dominant the more obese we have we, we are. And that affects all our hormones, certainly. And one of the things is that part of this glyco, you know, the storage of, of glycogen, storage of in our fat, increasing accumulation of fat, by design, we are um, designed post-menopause to be much more fuel efficient. And this hasn't been studied, David. I mean, this hasn't been studied very well. In, in 2015, I think also Dr. Lisa Moscone's work on MRI imaging the brain and the shift from gluconeogenesis um, as a primary fuel source in the brain that we know that say it this way, the use of glucose for fuel in the brain is a hormone dependent process. And as we start to decline with progesterone and estrogen 35 to 55, this creates this neuroendocrine vulnerability time period. And we get that brain fog, those mood swings, the the neurologic symptoms, the anxiety, the difficulty sleeping that are apart from our GYN symptoms that bring us into our OBGYN's office. And that's the regular bleeding, the weight gain and um, the 
breakthrough bleeding um, that happens in the perimenopause, menopause time period. And when we have more body fat, we tend to be more estrogen dominant and have more dysfunctional bleeding. And that leads to uh, hysterectomies, ablations. And one of the research that I came across recently, published a couple years ago, looked at the risk of diabetes uh, with hysterectomy. And it's crazy. Menopause is a risk factor for diabetes. And if you've had your uterus removed and your ovaries removed, that increases your risk for diabetes. You have a higher risk for diabetes. And, you know, is it the chicken or the egg there? Is it because they were insulin resistant, has estrogen dominant, that increased their risk to begin with? That's not well studied either. Again, more research in women needed. But I found that to be a fascinating piece of the puzzle too. And it's inflammation. Body fat is inflammation. So reducing that and optimizing to get into at least periodic um, fasting and ketosis is is extremely beneficial. And I think that um, the, the uh, inflammatory component of what you just mentioned in that inflammatory mediator cytokines, if you will, can antagonize the receptors for these hormones and therefore render them less effective, really takes us to a place of understanding that it's not necessarily the levels, levels that one might measure in the blood or the saliva uh, that would be uh, you know, indicative of, of functionality if the receptors are blocked. In other words, what good is looking at l how many keys you have if the if there aren't any locks to put them in if the locks are blocked so mm -hmm. uh that's you know that's another area certainly as it relates to insulin functionality that is explored you talk about um weight loss resistance that that's women are resistant to the, to being able to actually lose weight and then a couple of your diets i think target that but let's first talk about what does that mean yeah so like, this is the best way to explain it. And I, um, I look at it as, as part of my own life journey too, because when I was 48, going through a second perimenopause menopause, I gained weight without doing anything different, right? And that was something my patients would come in and say, say, Dr. Ann, I've gained 5, 10, 20 pounds, and I'm not doing anything different, right? What's happening here? Or, you know, they're gaining weight, or despite everything that used to work, I can no longer lose weight. And I think part of that is uh, we're more metabolically efficient. We've naturally, as our reproductive hormones are declining, insulin and cortisol are increasing as we age. And so that I, that comes back down to, again, insulin. Part of that is the insulin resistance. And the with that, the loss of testosterone and DHEA, which increases our metabolism and increases our muscle. And so we can also have this weight loss resistance, one, because of hormones, another because of inflammation, another reason, a third reason is, in, is food sensitivities. And certain foods are aggravating us. And the fourth is timing of our meals. Another reason that we can become weight loss resistant. We're less able, especially as we get older, to process. We're, go we're going to put into storage a lot sooner than we would otherwise. So, for example, eating after 7 p.m. is destructive to our metabolism. And, you know, another thing you, you mentioned, I think, is kind of leading edge. And that is this notion that... Um, the foods that we eat uh, can actually change the expression of our life code, our DNA. So how does that work into kind of a general idea, uh, ideology in terms of 
overview recommendations that you can make that you can actually switch on and switch off genes. Yeah, I think that's especially true where when it relates to our physiology and our body's ability to detoxify. So like the methylators, having foods that are supportive of your methylation process, sulfation, glucuronidation, and these kind of foods, medicinals. And I incorporated in my recipes, I incorporate foods that support these processes to support, you know, support our gene, to get the adaptogens that we can use, the anti-inflammatories also that we can use, like turmeric, a mutual favorite of ours, and uh, to support our genes as almost a genetic adaptogen to help support our body's natural anti-inflammatory response as well. Well, I think and turn um, off those cytokine, you know, oppose those cytokine pathways, those inflammatory pathways. And even affect uh, those pathways that are involved with hormone metabolism and, uh, you know, certainly hormone creation, hormone functionality. I, I think it's very valuable these days to get a sense as to where, per, where you are in terms of these gene variations. You know, I, I've found very valuable the analysis of my genome in terms of the interpretation of, in areas that relates to, you know, my hormone function, my methylation pathways, detoxification pathways, risk for inflammation, et cetera. I think it's really great information. And we have, you know, really good uh, algorithms that can be applied uh, through various companies that can tell us, uh, you know, give us the, then the, what is the call to action? And so by and large, it's food as you, uh, as you, you know, I got to say the book is beautiful, by the way. I, I, I don't know. You did. Everything came together. The, the recipes, the pictures. Um, so it, it's certainly great work. I want to start with, uh, in terms of the diets, the uh, Keto Green Extreme. Uh, let, I think you listed that as your first one. Let's talk about that and what it is. And then we'll talk about who that might be best for. Ending a sentence on a preposition. I'm sorry. Yeah. So with Keto Green, uh, so concept, my Keto Green approach is healthy fats, high quality protein, and alkalinizers on board, like the dark green leafies, like our um, broccoli sprouts and our cruciferous vegetables that all have a potent, potent communication with our, with our genes and with our hormones and hormone pathways to help detoxify unhealthy estrogens, for instance. And so with Keto Green Extreme and working in my Keto Green world for the last, since 2015, with my menopausal patients predominantly, but in general, they, um, sometimes we have to pause the nightshades. So that can affect immunity. So my Hashimoto's patients in particular, MS patients respond very well to a pause in nightshades. So that's where Keto Green Extreme is. It's a really, really clean, nightshade free. So no eggplants and tomatoes and mushrooms and peppers. Some of my favorite foods are all paused in those recipes, but yet incorporating the other hormone balancing ingredients. And tobacco, who knew? I mean, uh, you know, people are, are nightshade sensitive. They often think about only the things that they eat. So this uh, keto green extreme would be for people with, you mentioned autoimmune conditions. And I think in the book, you also mentioned uh, people with insulin resistance. In general, Keto Green works because we do intermittent fasting and no more snacking, and willpower is physiologic. So having that stable blood sugar really helps with, I can't rely on my willpower. So, you know, physiology has to be really dialed in. And so part of getting into Keto Green Extreme is having 
that willpower is having that even blood sugar. So you're not having the highs and lows that cause cravings. And it's really sad because when we look at diets for the menopausal woman, I I get excited when I see something in the news, but then I'll look at the diet. And for instance, I saw one recently and it was a yogurt parfait with berries and granola. And I'm like, you've just set her up to have a crash in two hours and what's going to happen next? So I read on, oh yes, have a snack in two hours. Well, we have just destroyed her (laughs) menopausal journey. And it's just so frustrating for women to be told that that's how to eat. And it's absolutely not how to eat in menopause without exception. There's no validation behind that. And it's the kind of thing you you see in in the checkout counter as you're leaving the grocery store where... Uh, a couple of days ago, I saw my good friend Annika Becca on the cover of one of those one of those things, uh, and I think it had to do with your new book and weight loss. I I didn't really pick it up because I've already read the book. So, uh, but anyway, there you were, and I said I know that that lady. Um, the next one is Very keto. Good. Yeah, first for women magazine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they did they did something on uric acid uh, for me last month, and they had me on the cover with. Um, as if Jennifer Aniston had just lost a bunch of weight because she had dropped her uric acid. But I mean, anyway, uh, you know, the messaging was great association, great, great duo there. You and Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm more honored, I'm sure, than she is. The next (laughs) is a keto green plant-based program, plant-based something. Yeah. So one of the biggest um, uh, struggles that many people have, especially when they're going eating more healthy fats and protein or going keto is constipation. And one of the things that we know from longevity research and blue zones that plant based, a good, healthy plant based diversity helps with gut microbial diversity, and that supports overall our physiology and longevity and decrease in all the metabolic syndrome diseases like diabetes and heart disease and dementia so and alzheimer's so to support gut microbial diversity and to relieve constipation the nagging you know a a very difficult problem that many people have and i want to just emphasize because one of the things that on my questionnaires that i asked my patients was constipation, are you constipated? And they would say, you know, often I would hear a a negative response, it wouldn't be answered. And then I would do an exam and I'm like, oh my gosh, feel really constipated. When do you, when was your last bowel movement? She goes, oh, maybe a week ago. And I'm like, well, you wrote that you're not constipated. And she said, I remember my one patient in particular, she's like, oh, well, I've been this way for 30 years and all my life, I've never had daily bowel movements. I'm like, you're not having one or two bowel movements a day. You are constipated. So I really like to define that because that, that's a really big problem. We'll, we're going to get reabsorption of toxins if we're not having regular bowel movements. What comes in must go out <laughs> in a very healthy way, as healthy as possible, as quickly as possible, what we don't need, right? And so the um, my plant-based plan is really to address that and to support alkalinity, support physiology, support regularity, bowel movements. And um, and that's the primary reason to incorporate that. Plus I have a lot of plant-based eaters that um, I can't convince to incorporate other foods. I wanna show them a very healthy way to balance their hormones, stay low carb and plant-based and um, feel amazing with it. Well, you know, mentioning the microbiome, uh, you're- uh, a couple of thoughts come to mind. You you quoted or referenced the work of Dr. David at Harvard and his research demonstrating that 
you know, there can be significant shifts in the microbial populations with dietary change over a course of as little as three days. So, you know, these days we want our everything to happen quickly. We want Amazon Prime to deliver it by drone into the backyard later today or whatever it may be. But, you know, to have a, a significant change in the, in the array of gut bacteria in just a three-day period of time, I think is pretty dramatic. It just tells us that when you change the environment, you can change what's going on with the levels of the different bacteria. And I think perhaps more importantly, what they're doing, what, what is their metabolic profile? What is the metabolome looking like? And how that may then be influential in terms of our goals of reestablishing insulin sensitivity, reducing inflammation, uh, and even, dare I say, changing our gene expression. So um, the next one, uh, you know, you mentioned, well, let me go back to one other thing you mentioned, that is alkalinity. Uh, and you mentioned that not twice. What is the value of alkalinity and is measuring the pH of the urine giving you clear-cut information about what's going on in the physiology and the rest of the body? I think it is one of the most important biohacks and the least one of the least expensive important biohacks that we can actually do. And checking urine pH is game changing. And I've done this now with online hundreds of thousands of people. And it is truly, it is truly an amazing difference when we can get an alkaline urine pH on a regular basis how that can shift how a person feels, but also getting into ketosis at the same time. You're not going to stay alkaline like all day because if you exercise, you'll get acidic. If you're stressed, cortisol increases hydrogen ion secretion across the renal tubules, so then you'll have a more acidic urine pH. But it is it is that biofeedback. It is telling you, okay, you can be eating perfectly and your urine pH is still acidic. That means you're you're stressed or you're eating a food sensitivity or your blood sugar is too high or you're you know, it, a number of dehydrated, it can be a number of reasons working against you. And I have found that that, you know, marker is, is a key, is key. And plus in research over the years, I've, I've looked at research, looking at urine pH, a higher urine pH, so seven being neutral, but seven or greater associated with all the, a decrease in all the disorders, again, of aging, diabetes, heart disease, metabolic syndrome, and it wasn't until your work, your recent book, Drop Acid, that I had a huge aha moment, honestly, because I found a research that looked at the higher uric acid, the lower your, I mean, the higher your urine pH, the more alkaline your urine pH, the lower, the healthier your uric acid levels are, and you can get more alkaline to clear uric acid. And I thought that was really a fascinating piece, which kind of made sense to me with elevated uric acid, some certain diets, carnivore diets, high meat diets, high purine based diets, and increasing that again, lower urine pH and higher uric acid. So I thought that was that was truly a fascinating aha moment for me in, um, in my, you know, promotion of checking urine pH and really thinking that that is really a valuable easy, right? marker. Uh, people can, you, you have, is there a place people can go to get a simple kit to check their urine pH? Yeah, you can get urine pH strips anywhere. There's uh, pH strips, hydrion strips that any health food store has. My website, I created um, urine pH strips with ketones on them. So if you're checking urine, especially if you're new, you can see ketones in your urine. 
And so, you know, checking urine, ketones and pH at the same time, I've got to add uric acid pad to that, uh, to that urine, um, it's called keto pH urine test strips. You then move into the carbohydrate pause. And I think for some people, and this is a basically an animal based uh, option out of one of five. And some may raise their eyebrows, but why would you want to do all animal products? What might be the benefit? Yeah, some definitely certain sometimes skin conditions. Like I've seen with patients with chronic eczema and psoriasis, and their I mean their guts torn up and they're having difficulty with digestion in general, especially digesting plant-based foods. So taking a pause in that and also getting into high ketosis is is powerful for the nervous system and for clarity and for metabolism and to you know, overcome some uh, weight loss resistance as well, because you definitely will lose weight on that plan. But plus looking at it from a historical perspective, right? There are seasons for a reason and there are, you know, not everyone is designed the same. We are our own N of one. And so want to see what's working best for us right now. If we're omitting, for example, the greens, the dark green leafies and the vegetables, because our body's having trouble digesting them, it's an important realization to make. And on, I, you know, I, it's not something that we're going to stay on long term, but That's it's really one important. of these pauses. Mm -hmm. And when you say pause, I think of the book you talk about six days. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell six you, days. you, you mentioned that this is a diet that for people with inflammatory skin conditions. When when our son was probably thirteen ish or fourteen, I guess he began getting hives when he was exposed to things like water. <laughs> I mean, you know, couldn't even take a shower because he it, it got horrendous hives. And, uh, you know, we were kind of dumbfounded what to do. And we were uh, had become friendly with a, a, a Korean uh, acupuncturist. And uh, he was actually down here from Boston visiting. And he took our son's pulse and said, he is like a lion. He needs meat. We were full on vegetarian at that point. And uh, at that point, my wife went out and bought the biggest steaks she could find, fed it to Austin. And dare I say, it happened in the blink of an eye that something wow. in, in the energetics of meat or some component, chemically, whatever it may be, but his hives resolved at that moment never to return. So, uh, you know, like That's you so felt, incredible. Oh, and made a believer out of me. I, I was giving him you know, antihistamines and Benadryl and, you know, the mainstream medicine kinds of things and failing miserably. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm like yourself, uh, you know, I'm mostly plant-based in terms of my recommendation, in terms of what we eat. Uh, but I'm not fully uh, vegan or vegetarian. You know, I will have eggs and have some uh, fish and occasional red meat as well. And so I think that we are omnivorous. Uh, you know, this is not a a, uh, a derogation of uh, vegetarianism from an, you know, an animal cruelty perspective. I, that's a different discussion. I'm just talking about what seems to work for people. And, I, and I'm bringing this up because, you know, this is one of your five dietary plans and it's, it will raise eyebrows. But again, you qualified this by saying, this is just a pause. Mm -hmm. This is a six day plan to, re to make some changes based upon you know, certain goals. This is a dietary plan, I think, mentioned for people who are at what they feel is their best weight and want to just stabilize at that point. 
but that you do target autoimmunity and skin conditions, I think you mentioned the book and just now, uh, by giving them animal protein for a short period of time. Hey, I've been there with a loved one and I know what that's mm -hmm. like. Let's move on then to the keto green um, liquid or I forget what you call it. It's a liquid cleanse. cleanse. There you go. It's a liquid cleanse mm -hmm. based on keto green principles. Tell us about that. Well, a couple things. Like I actually positioned it after the carnivorous plan because we're in high ketosis at that time, so we're not going to have cravings, and that makes it easier to do a cleanse. And the goal here is, especially for anti-aging, honestly, for cleansing the GI tract, and the you know for a liquid-based six days to give rest to our digestive processes and give our body the fuel it needs to continue to restore and rebuild. And we've done this in my girlfriend doctor community. And I have clients and they're, you know, at all ages, 30, 40, 50, 60s, 70s. I have a woman in her um, six, late 60s, she's 67 years old, and she did the six-day cleanse, lost 11 pounds during that Wow. six days and just and like with our oh gosh she's going to gain it back it was right before thanksgiving we did this and she gained one pound back during uh thanksgiving but i've kept that 10 pounds off that natural diuresis right she's like losing she's naturally diuresing which is a good thing we want to remove that fluid naturally as a physician i was taught if you've got someone with lower extremity edema let's give them you know a diuretic let's give them some lasix let's put that on board and and here's a natural way to heal heal your gastrointestinal mucosa, essentially, very, very quickly, therapeutically, plus you're giving your body fuel it needs to regenerate, repair, restore, and in high autophagy, you can really help with the intermittent fasting and the clean, low-carbohydrate plan um, supporting autophagy and cleaning out our system, too. And I found that critically important. And it also gives us such a a boost in energy in that short amount of time too. But it's really a reparative to the, another reparative plan to the um, gastrointestinal mucosa. So all life, you know, starts in the gut. So that's why that cleanse is, is in there. You know, most of what you've mentioned, at least in the dietary plans we've covered so far, does at least tend to uh, get women closer to or deeply or, or significantly into ketosis. Why, why is that a, a goal? What's the, the upside? It's not just a good idea in menopause. I consider it mandatory in menopause and beyond because like Lisa Moscone's work about gluconeogenesis in the brain. And during this period, because it's a estrogen, most likely progesterone also, but estrogen dependent process, our brain's starving for fuel. And again, we're more insulin resistant. So shifting to ketones is like giving your brain jet fuel. It takes away the brain fog, the, you know, improves your memory, improves your clarity. And that is, that's a hormone dependent process. So we have to shift from glucose to ketones on a regular basis to um, support, support brain health, neurologic health, neuroendocrine health in general. And, and we've seen an amazing, amazing improvements in cognition. I mean, I wouldn't be here writing my third book if I didn't figure this out and, and um, just recently stumble upon the research that's, you know, helps me understand why it really does make a difference in a female's brain to you know, to shift into ketosis. And until now, until a lot of Dr. Moscone's work, 
it was research was done on men. So we weren't seeing this and men have 10 times as much testosterone converting to estrogen than women. And so men don't see this rapid neuroendocrine shift of this neurologic, I like it, you know, neurologic, um, exacerbation of symptoms, the anxiety, the mood swings, the memory loss, the hot flashes, all of those neurologic symptoms, honestly. And so uh, to see one of the reasons being something other than our hormones, because you can have your hormones dialed in, but you still need to shift into the state of ketosis and fasting. So just to make matters a little bit more complicated, you your final of the, the final five, uh, the last one is a carbohydrate heavy, dare I say heavy, but a carbohydrate centric diet uh, that kind of argues against the notion of ketosis and yet has some real opportunity here to do good things as you explained. So tell us what that diet's all about and then who might benefit from it. It's called the carbohydrate modification. Yeah, yeah, it should have come up with a catchier name. It's really, it's kind of a, a very healthy feasting plan. And uh, often working with patients who have been doing keto feasting. Green for a I like while. the word feasting. I love that word. <laughs> and in patients who are women who have been doing a ketosis for a long time or keto green plans for a long time in my community, and they get stuck, right? They're like, okay, maybe they're having some symptoms or like a return of a symptom, or they're not sleeping as well as they used to, and they're struggling. And I, and I add back some healthy carbohydrates, that sweet potato in the evening, those root vegetables, and all of a sudden they're sleeping better. And some will even lose weight during the carb up plan. That has not happened to me. Very metabolically efficient here. That has not happened to me. But in, in some clients, they'll just sleep better, feel better. And it's that bump up we need. Again, a pause, a pause. And uh, that can help shift and support her physiology again. And I, I love that. And I loved incorporating some really fun recipes like my Texas rodeo skillet. A- anything you can cook in one pan for me is-, I, is I'm there. My favorite yeah. recipe in your book was the cauliflower steak. Mm. I'm Delicious. Big on cauliflower. There are a couple of restaurants here in town that you can order an entire, a whole ca- baked cauliflower brought to the table, which is, which is great. And I will comment on the, on the carb uh, part. Uh, I definitely, and I'm sure there are many people who notice uh, that the following day uh, uh, after carbs at dinner, uh, gluten, uh, rice-based uh, pasta, for example, I, I notice athletic performance is clearly improved. Distance and speed are definitely increased. You know, that you've heard of carb loading, and I, I'm not saying we're, I'm actually loading to, to really top off the uh, glycogen tank here, but um, I definitely noticed it. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I work out as do many in, you know, burning ketones uh, because, I, you know, there's nothing because I've already depleted uh, glycogen, but there's definitely a sense of advantage anyway when there's carbs on board the night before. Um, you then talk about the perspective of a menopause around the world and that we're kind of unique in America with our as mentioned, the, you know, the obesity connection, our high rates of obesity, and that menopause seems to be in many countries, I think you mentioned Japan, uh, less of a struggle for women than it is here. So give us a sense as to what's going on in the rest of the world and perhaps why. Yeah, I think one thing is we have to disrupt 
the term menopause here in the United States and what that brings to mind. And I've uh, come across this kind of stigmas associated with terms recently as I became a grandma. And so like if you Google grandma gifts, I mean, it's these old, very old, wrinkled, obese on a rocking chair type gifts. And I'm like, okay. So you, the, the menopause, and in England, I've interviewed with some people from England too. And they're like, oh, becoming a crone is the terminology that's used. What a terrible word. And menopause in Japan is considered, the word is konenki. They use that word to signify second spring, a second spring of life. And that resonates a lot prettier to me than menopause does. So in the one thing is the terminology and around the world, how are women revered post-reproductive years? And, and why is that considered so um, negative here in the United States? It's, it's media. Um, it's been a challenge. And I think this understanding of shifting out how we're nourishing our body, really addressing metabolic health and the stage of life we're in, how that has to shift hasn't hasn't been well addressed so we can shift into this physiology that's a very empowered physiology for me it's the keto green keto alkaline physiology and that's a very high vibration that's a lot of clarity it's a lot of production it's a lot of passion right living a passionate loving life where you can give and receive love like your love diet right give and receive love so important in our in our um, minds in our own mindset but energetically because of our uh, standard American diet and high stress existence, we have no energy, we're tired, we have the hormonal changes leading to aches and pains and, you know, and weight gain and brain fog. And so if we shift our physiology from that, more women will feel empowered and embrace the second stage of life. Like in many countries, there's no limitation because of our age. And that we shouldn't have that limitation on ourselves. So I'd love to see, and I'm really working on raising a wise army of women up to be even more empowered now than during our reproductive years. Well, there you go. I love the book. I'll hold it up because it's so wonderful. There you go. And I'm so delighted that I, that I got my own hard copy. So it's terrific. And I love seeing you as well. It's, uh, I always uh, very much look forward to spending time together and hope that we can be not virtual soon. So who knows? Me too. Me too. I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a terrific interview. What an amazing book. This is one of the best books uh, I've seen in a long, long time. And uh, how interesting that she has cultivated uh, the five different dietary interventional plans uh, for women really kind of based upon their specific needs or goals. Uh, it takes us towards the whole notion of personalized medicine. I hope you enjoyed the program today. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter, and I'll be back soon. Bye for now. Music.